Cool. Three, two, one. Uh, welcome to Behind the Curtain with me and my friend Keith from Ireland. Uh, thanks for doing this, man. Um, so it's your birthday today. Yeah. Yeah. How old are you? Boy. <laughs> uh, it's a little bit uneventful uh, because it's Monday. So, um, uh, yeah, I just headed out for a surf. The waves are good, at least. Um, and... Uh, Maybe do something tonight, do something this evening, but there's not really a whole lot you can do these days, you know? There's a lot of restrictions and, um, yeah, better off not planning anything because uh, it just leads to disappointment. Yeah. How uh, how old did you turn today? Mm. 30. Oh, welcome, brother. <laughs> <laughs> My age 30, yeah. <laughs> uh, how, how do you feel about that? Um, I've been looking forward to it. I've been looking forward to it for a while. Um, um, anyone I've met along the way who was in their thirties, I always felt that they 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 were at that stage where uh, everything was just great. And even when things weren't going great, you've a better you're better equipped to deal with uh, uh, bad situations when you're in your thirties. I feel. <laughs> I think you're spot on the ball. I mean, this is my, I turned thirty in November last year. And I mean, obviously, the first three months of this year were great. The last six haven't been the best, but it's been okay for me. Like, I don't feel I'm really glad I'm not like 16 or 17 and just stuck at home the whole time. Yeah, I, yeah. I think I would go insane. Um, so you surf in Ireland? I didn't know that. I didn't even know that was possible. Yeah, no, it's uh, the, the the waves are great here. Um, along the west coast, um, from September to about. Uh, April, May, um, it's it's pretty good. Um, summer, like today, was my first day out uh, in a in a good few months, um, because the swell only really starts to come in again in September. And um, very very rarely in the summer you might get a surf in, but there's, it's also really busy, you know. So once uh, once the kids go back to school in September is when uh, ah, that makes sense. <laughs> start start getting out surfing again. But today now was in. It was, it was amazing to see the amount of people out there. I think people are just itching to get out surfing after yeah. uh, not having that for a while. So, uh, uh, yeah, it begins. Is the water cold? Um, <clears throat> well, <laughs> that all depends on where you're from. Uh, <laughs> for, for us, uh, this time of year, the water is, what well, we call it warm, but it's probably about 14 degrees. Uh, maybe not, actually. It's probably gone down to about 12, I'd say, but um, there's... It, minimum in the winter, the temperature will go down to about um, nine or ten degrees in the water, and in the summer it'll go up to about fourteen, fifteen if you're like in some very sheltered bay. Um, so we, when we're surfing, we always have wetsuits, but it's either a really, really thick wetsuit or a slightly thinner wetsuit. Okay, I'm trying to do the conversion in my head, and do you have any idea what that all is in, in oh, <laughs> I'm, doing, I'm doing a lot of baking recently lately and um every recipe i find is in fahrenheit and i'm just like googling 450 f to c 350 f to c i don't know there's a there's there's a, 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 no i don't know google's google's the answer but it's yeah. uh, it's 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 not warm <laughs> i think yeah because i think if i remember it's like every 10 i think what it was when i was down there Cause I was in Bogota and it was eight and it was cold. It was like 50 degrees. And so I think 15 is right around 60 or 65, which is cold water. 
Uh, yeah, what's it saying here? So 57 degrees. 57 degrees Fahrenheit is a warm, a warm, is warm water uh, for us. Oh, that is cold water. <laughs> it's fantastic. It's a different, it's a different uh, swimming experience. You know, I lived down in the, in, in the south of Spain for a while and when the, um, you, you start to miss the, the coldness of the water. You start to miss uh, how the sea can wake you up when you, when you, when you jump into it. Um, that makes sense. And, and I've lifeguarded uh, on the beaches here uh, uh, from like leaving school for, uh, and then every summer for about seven or eight years. And, um, and that's what you, it's, that, it's jumping into the sea either on a cold day <laughs> or on a really hot day. The, 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 the sea is always going to wake you up. It's always going to be really refreshing, you know. Yeah. Um, so it's just, yeah, I just kind of see it as a, it's a different activity altogether. So jumping into the water in, in warm water. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, it's refreshing in the warm water. It's nice. It's not that you don't think about it at all completely. Yeah. It feels cleaner as well. When the water's cold, it feels cleaner. That's true. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> I mean, you don't want to. You don't want to be sitting in the in, in some place in the Mediterranean and seeing this kind of. Uh, I just always think these busy tourist beaches that the water just smells of sun cream. <laughs> yeah, and you're right. Yeah, just bodies laying in it all day, just in the pool. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's exactly what it is. Okay, so you're the dude that got me into making bread, and everybody around here is like, they've been asking me all summer, "Hey, why'd you start making bread? How'd you start making bread?" I was like, well, <laughs> met, I met this dude, and he said it was a good idea, and I wanted to stop paying for bread, basically, and so here we are, and it's are delicious. Are you still doing this? No, because now I'm living out of my RV full time, yeah. and so it could do it. It would just, it's just a pain in the ass trying to wash dishes, and I had this little oven, like it could definitely heat it up hot enough to do one at a time. Yeah, but it's just I'll just go buy a loaf of bread. Yeah, yeah. But will you get real sourdough? <laughs> <laughs> how uh, how is yours business going? You started the whole thing. Uh, yeah. So I mean, um, it's 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 kind of come to a halt at the moment because um, so like when I when I uh, when I started, I was just uh in lockdown. Uh, the job that I had, that was lined up that I was supposed to be starting. Um, fell through that company has gone into liquidation so there's nothing happened there the job that I left in November before I met you over in Brazil so uh, that that place hasn't opened yet I don't think they're going to open up again um, so uh, yeah when I started uh, doing the sourdough I was just bored I uh, just wanted <laughs> to do something um, but uh, yeah and I, I, there's a, obviously there's a whole length of time that goes into making your starter to begin with and during that week, I had a lot of time to read, and then I was just reading up on what, I, you know, when I finally get this starter, how am I going to make the bread? And when the first, when I made the first loaf of bread, and it came out, like, it came out really, really well, and I was shocked. And <laughs> then I just, uh, in, in a moment of desperation, jobless, uh, needed a bit of cash, uh, put up a picture on Instagram, which is something, again, that I wasn't really wasn't really using Instagram at the time. I had only started to use Instagram once I went traveling again recently. Uh, and I realized that people weren't exchanging Facebooks anymore. And I wasn't really on Facebook. And I was like, well, I better get with the program. Yeah. But I put the picture up and the response was amazing. Like, uh, you know, it, because of the time uh, that it was, I wasn't getting, I might have been getting people who wanted to have sourdough. Uh, but a lot of the time I was getting messages from people who lived abroad. Um, whose family lived um, uh, lived around the area, around the town that I'm, I'm living. Oh, in. okay. 
they wanted to either check in on their parents or say, you know, bring some bread up. And one, one, um, one girl up in Dublin, uh, so I'm on the west of Ireland, the opposite side to the country of uh, Dublin. Um, and uh, there was this girl that week after week she would she would send me electronically money for bread and say <laughs> that that their her parents are supposed to be uh, cocooning. Do you use the term cocooning over there for the over sixties? No, called, but I like it. That's a good so, term for those for that people that demographic. Yeah, so now they're calling that they just uh, during the whole coronavirus thing. They they call like they tell people over sixty uh, to cocoon, basically not even to go to the shops. Um, and if they go for walks and stuff, that they would go uh, at different times when it's not so busy. Um, so basically, yeah, this uh, girl who I knew, uh, her parents were supposed to be cocooning and uh, and they were going out to the bakery twice a week. So she said, bring the bread up to them so that they don't leave the house. Um, so, yeah, anyway, it got really popular and, and it, it was enjoyable to do. I was cycling around on my bike. I built a box at the back of the bike to bring the bread around. And, mm-hmm. um, and then as it went on, it became more... Like the, the the restrictions eased, um, and it's I started to think of it more as uh, you know, could this be an option uh, yeah. to maybe start something, start a bit, start a bakery? So I ordered an oven, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, the oven. It turns out I'm not the only person who started baking during uh, during the lockdown. So uh, so it's going to take uh, months. It's going to. I still probably won't have it until November. Um, oh. And the the home oven here is getting a little bit tired, so I've kind of got to a point now where lots of people know that I'm doing this bread. They know that I want to keep going with it, but I can't. So yeah. uh, now it's a bit of well, it's it's great because it's around my birthday, so I'm just kind of taking a taking a bit of a breather, doing a few experiments here and there, and working on a bit of a plan, I suppose, uh, where to go with this. But um, yeah, that's the that's the long and that's- short. Of- that's cool, but you and en- so you obviously enjoy it. You like waking up every day and making bread. Uh, like since since I've stopped, uh, you know, maybe it's only about two weeks now that I've that I've stopped doing it uh, religiously, like every morning. Um, and uh, and I missed that because you know it took me a while to get into the routine of sleeping very early, getting up at five in the morning, which isn't really that early for a baker. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, it was great. The whole process of it is um, is is it. Can kind of teach you a lot about. I found it kind of taught me to live differently because I'm quite fast paced and I'm always changing from one thing to the next very fast. And sourdough is such a slow process um, yeah. that you kind of um, you you take that as your 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 staple your your routine and you try to fill in the gaps then along the way. You fill in like the little half an hour breaks that you take where you where you have to wait for the for the dough before you fold it again. <laughs> oh, fill in a little. Uh, fit in a bit of work here and there so um yeah no it's 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 great and it's it's uh and it's it's been nice to it's been nice to bake for people as well it's been really nice to um like i used to be a teacher and that was enjoyable to 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 teach but there's just this tangible thing when you can give this food to someone and they can eat it and enjoy it it's uh it gives you it gives you a great kick and i think everybody during the lockdown and during um 2020 during this uh, mad year and they've been looking for those little things just to to get them through whether it's a new hobby Um, and I suppose that's all it is for me and you know maybe it'll turn into something else but for the moment that's all it is it's just uh, something to keep the head occupied yeah and the last point like 
when I, I felt so happy giving like a fresh, warm, still still kind of warm loaf of bread to somebody, and then like, oh, this is gonna be so good. Like I had friends, I had, gave it to a guy. He stopped by my house one day and picked it up on his way home from work. He's like, it didn't even make it home, man. He like, ate the whole thing. And, like that made me so happy. Yeah, so yeah. yeah, I can understand for sure. It was a cool thing to do, and I wanted to try to try to travel around and bake bread and like hang out with people who I knew and give them a loaf. But like I said, I don't think it's gonna be possible. But it'll be back for sure. How long did you? Uh, how long did you? Did you last doing it? Um, all summer. I basically started. I think I started right when I got home in April, and kept it going until the end of August. So, and mm. I would just I would do two loaves every morning, and it would be one for me and then one for somebody else, basically. Because I was eating a lot of bread, but it was yeah. delicious. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I lost about. Uh, I lost about 15 kilos uh, at the start of lockdown when there was really nothing we could do, go anywhere. And I was doing a lot of exercise, a lot of cycling, mm-hmm. um, uh, a lot of running as well. And um, then when I started doing the bread, I was delivering them everywhere on my bike. Um, and then once the lockdown, once we were given a bit of uh, a bit more freedom mm-hmm. and we were allowed to go like five kilometers, 10 kilometers, uh, we start meeting up with friends again, and I stopped cycling. <laughs> Put every single one of those kilos back on. <laughs> yeah, quickly. <laughs> uh, it's hard. Well, to, it's hard to keep uh, keep a steady routine when when the world is changing around you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And a lot of people were doing these online uh, these online you know kind of train um, um, uh, fitness programs at home mm-hmm. on uh, either on. Um, yeah, on, on, on YouTube or whatever. And uh, <laughs> that seemed to be the conversation between people like, oh, how much have you done this week? And then it just all went by the wayside. Immediately. It, Immediately. People got to go outside again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, what is the weather like over in Ireland right now? Is it wintertime? Is it starting? Uh, no, it's like we don't really have much of a, an autumn or a fall. It's just... Um, I don't know. People kind of feel that there's only a, a, a springtime and a wintertime here. You know, it's it, it, uh, it's it never gets very hot. Uh, we got like you know we got some lovely weather from uh, in in April, like all through lockdown. Actually, we had we had this fantastic weather. But then July, which should really be the peak of our summer, and um, that just it just rained for a month. Okay. <laughs> And September, September is quite a nice month. Uh, it's not, it's not really warm, but it's a great time to go camping because there's not much of a, it's not much of a difference between uh, the temperature during the day and nighttime, like maybe a few degrees. So, you know, if you, we went out there at the weekend into the right into the center of the country, up some mountains, and um, uh, yeah, like you go for a hike during the day, went mountain biking, and then just. Uh, uh, like it must have been about maybe 17 degrees during the day 16 degrees and then it dropped down to about 13 degrees at night so like okay. you know it's like it's not it's not super warm but it's easier to plan for <laughs> yeah 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 exactly you, know, you, wear, you wear a jumper in the in, in during the day and then you put the fire on at night so we had a yeah. big fire in the, out in the middle of the country so where you live is that where you grew up yeah um yeah, I live in uh, Ennis, and it's like um, it's between um, two cities, Galway and Limerick, mm-hmm. um, and it's about well, it's on the west coast, and it's about uh, two and a half hours from Dublin, uh, the capital. Uh, you're never really too far away uh, in Ireland because it's a small island, but mm-hmm. um, 
uh, you know, it's it's all really down to roads because <laughs> we don't yeah like, that that would make sense. And you know, like what don't... I picture when I think of Ireland is like really tiny roads that like go over countrysides and like I don't know and tell me if I'm wrong or not, but yeah, basically that's all I think of like little cobblestone streets and little tiny roads. Yeah, so I think like if you're like <clears throat> if you're on one of the main arteries coming out of Dublin, um, it's motorway, 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 and okay. there's a lot of um, there's a lot of kind of uh, modern towns and modern development, but. Um, you'll always find uh, you'll always find that that image that's in your head of Ireland as well when you go into when you go into different places. We definitely don't have as much of the thatched uh, cottages as uh, maybe, <laughs> as maybe American tourists uh, would, would hope for when they come. Uh, the few that we the few that we still have, uh, we keep them for the tourists. <laughs> you go to a few restaurants that hold on to the thatch roof, but they need to be making a lot of. They need to be getting a lot of um, a lot of customers to hold on to the thatch group, the thatch roof, because it's uh, it's quite expensive to maintain. Yeah, constant work, I would think, nonstop. That's, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, because I mean, we're obviously sold one idea of Ireland over here in the states, and I've never been there. I mean, and that's what I want to talk to you. Like, what is it growing up in Ireland? What is that like? What is I mean, what is going to school like? What is being in your village like? Sports, all these different things. Um, well, uh, I suppose it's a bit. It, it it's different. Uh, it's it's probably different to if you haven't been to Ireland. It'd be probably hard to imagine it. Like any time I've been traveling, um, and this is the same for most Irish people. They'll they'll be mixed up for an Englishman <laughs> or. Mm-hmm. Or if you say you're Irish, they'll say, "Oh yeah, the United Kingdom." And they, if they have an idea of um, British culture, they'll kind of put us in the same box. Um, and I don't. I think most Irish people will say um, that they're quite different, or their culture is quite different. Uh, growing up, gr- growing up in Ireland, um, firstly, we all learn um, the Gaelic language, the Irish language. Some people speak it at home in their family w- w- with their family. Um, they speak it fluently. It all depends on the part of Ireland that you're, that that you, where you live, okay. uh, or So my parents are from Dublin, um, and Dublin, being the capital city, would have had a more uh, more of an English influence. Um, so there's not as much. They all learn in school, but you won't hear as many people speaking Irish there. Whereas down in the west, uh, there's a lot more of that. Um, so yeah, people learn people learn Irish. The things. Maybe they've changed in the last uh, in the last few years, but all of our public schools um, are Catholic, um, and that's not really that great um, because that's um, there's no real separation between religion and education. Um, so when I was going to school, we'd stand up at the start of class and pray and say say the morning. Wild. Um, which uh, you know, we just accepted that. That was just uh, that was just Ireland at the time. But Ireland is very multicultural now, um, and that's something that probably needs to needs to change mm-hmm. um, because uh, it doesn't really represent uh, the Ireland uh, of today. Um, and you'd see it if you go to the church. You'll see these big churches, and there's not that many people going to them anymore. Got yeah, it. It's still there, connected to our education. Um, but. Uh, but it was definitely a definitely a fun place. I mean, I've I've uh, I've travelled uh, t- travelled away and lived lived abroad uh, uh, for for a few years on and off. Um, and any time I come back to Ireland, I'm always really happy to come back. And I always notice that 
once people start to uh, plan a family or once they want to settle down um, they might be living in a lot of a lot of Irish people emigrate to Canada, Australia, uh, America as well. Not so much anymore as before. Uh, Australia, New Zealand are the real, mm-hmm. the real cool destinations now. But um, uh, yeah, whenever like couples are ready to settle down and have kids, they always end up coming back because um, I guess they they think of their own childhood and how nice it was, and they want their own kids to have that. And um, it's definitely a great place to to grow up. As a kid, you get a lot, uh, you get a lot of freedom, um, and you know there's a lot of countryside. Even you know, even if, even if you want to live close to a city, our cities aren't that big. But if you want to live close to a city, you don't have to live that far from a city to live mm-hmm. in the countryside. Ten minutes outside the city, and you're cycling around and running through the fields. And wow, that's nice. Yeah. So uh, so all that I suppose is nice. And then there's the Irish sports as well, which again I wasn't really too too much into. Um, Probably because due to um, uh, our, our parents being from Dublin and not being as strong there, and also we were all swimmers, uh, which kept us busy seven days a week. But the <laughs> Irish sports are really Irish sports are really interesting. They're very different to um, uh, they're they're quite unique. You'd only have seen them if uh, if you if you go to maybe uh, one of the clubs that they've set up that the Irish expats have set up. Um, oh. Wherever they go. Um, have you ever heard of hurling? No. So it's kind of play. It's played with the with the wooden stick, uh, made out of ash, and it's so it's it's narrow at the where you hold it with your hands, and it gets a little wider at the end, wide and flat, um, and then you play it with uh, a, a slightly smaller and harder baseball called a slitter. Okay. Um, and and yeah, you play that on on what 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 would be like a soccer pitch, but with uh, rugby goals. Okay. So, yeah. Hit in the goal, you get three points. Hit over, you get one point. But it's a gruesome game. It's a really, it's one of those games that you have to, you have to start learning when you're about three or four because uh, if if you don't know how to how to avoid getting hit by the hurley or if you don't know how, how to move, you yeah, learn you them with the sticks? yeah, yeah. They, <laughs> A, well, the sticks. The sticks are always the aim is to is to. It's it's a lot of kind of half in the air, half on the ground. But when you try to hit the slitter or hit the ball, um, you know you could easily hit hit someone's shoulder, hit someone's head. Um, they, they you have to wear helmets now, but uh, not so long ago it wasn't compulsory to wear a helmet, and <laughs> most players would come off concussed at the end. It was. That's worth worth taking a look at. <laughs> that sounds yeah that sounds intense the whole time yeah yeah uh, where have you lived abroad because I, I, I know you've told me a long time ago but now i want to refresh and ask you my questions about it uh i lived in argentina um for a little while um that was the first place i went to um i was like 19 i think um, how long is a little while uh like a little over half a year it wasn't that okay. long um, but it was enough anyway to fall in love with the place. Uh, really, really amazing place. So came back to visit friends then at, at a later stage. But um, uh, yeah, and then afterwards I went to um, was in Spain for about a year. Um, I was in France. Well, I was in France for about half a year, but then I came back for a year. Fran- like Ireland, myself and France have. Uh, <laughs> I've gotten along for a while, and yeah. you know, over and back. It's not too far for us anyway. You know, we kind of people tend to either take their holidays in Spain or in France, but um, 
Yeah, you know, France a bit. I went over to New Zealand to do a bit of work there for a while um, and then travelled on the way, which is kind of what you do, you know. Mm-hmm. Can you hear all that drilling going on? <laughs> a little bit here and there. It's not a big deal. <laughs> you got some housework going on, huh? <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, apart from that, it was all kind of travelling, but they're the places that I kind of settled, settled, settled for a little while. Um, and now I'm back in Ireland and to be honest since the last trip to Brazil and then this whole lockdown happened uh, it doesn't really concern me too much that um, that travel is kind of restricted for a while because uh, it's kind of good to be home you know good to be, I, uh, yeah mm. yeah and like and what you were saying about coming like this is my first time back in my hometown for an extended period of time maybe in like seven or eight years and so I came back and I was kind of apprehensive about what I was going to do, what was going to be going on. But the more I think about it, like when it's all said and done, this is probably where I'll end up because it is familiar. I want my kids to be kind of raised like I was. And then, and it's just that big city thing I don't think is for me. I don't know how you, how you feel about big cities. I don't even know what the biggest city in Ireland is. I don't know how big it is. Um, but, and then coming home this time around, not being here for so long it kind of opened my eyes to how nice it was here how wonderful it was here and and it's been refreshing coming home and spending i'm ready to get out of here now because the winter time is settling in and starting to get real cold but it was like a real nice silver lining to come home and spend time with people for the first time in a very long time yeah but you're back close even though you're in the orv you're back close to uh, you're not too far away from like familiar country yeah and there's something to be said like i loved like that was, when i met you was my first traveling experience long term and like i absolutely loved it but there's definitely something to be said about being around your own countrymen and being in your own country and being home like i didn't think i missed it until i got back and i was like wow this is like it's really nice to be back in the states and where everything i'm just used to doing and then the normal the normal day-to-day stuff is just kind of like second nature at this point and it didn't take the extra thought yeah Oh, but but I don't know. yeah i don't know um i think it's i always get this uh hankering for a for 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 a trip abroad when i'm getting settled uh here and um i don't know if it's just this if it's just natural that everyone feels this once they're once they're completely settled in their life they get they just want to jump and and, and travel away again because once i'm traveling um I never really last too long. There's not like I've gone, I've gone lots of different trips, but I never really last too long before I start to feel not homesick, but I really start to look forward to to, to getting back there again, getting back home. It's just like the contrast uh, that makes you appreciate it more. So um, much, so much. Yeah, but uh, um. I. I it's also it's also maybe like not not being completely set, like you're you're not completely settled where you are now you're in an rv going around so <laughs> you kind of feel like you're living the traveling life yeah <laughs> yeah this is this is different and like right now i'm really on the fence about even if i like it or not um because but i write like all summer i've been in my hometown basically working full time uh just to save up some cash because like i left like with the virus I, I ran away at the perfect time because I sold everything and then bounced. And then the virus basically settled in three months later. So like no responsibility, no bills, and a bunch of money saved for traveling. So it gave me the opportunity to come home and kind of relax for a little bit and like think about what I wanted to do and how I was going to keep making money. 
because with everything changing, I think I think everything is going to go online. Honestly, I think that's what I'm doing all my training on. People are doing all all their 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 office work online. So it's we're going to go live in a weird world. And I was like, well, I'm just going to buy an RV, man, because I wanted to be in the U.S., but I wanted to travel still. And when cold settles in here, it's like it's cold. I don't even know what it would be in Celsius because I've never been in something that cold in Celsius. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> but it's like feats of snow and freezing weather. And so it's not, it's not copacetic to living in for me. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't know. We're going to make the RV is weird. It's a weird life. Cause like it's small, but it's like, there's just, it's, it's going to take some getting used to, I think for now. I might not uh, even do it that long. We'll you, see. You know, you find it very strange to be in a house after that. My, um, my brother and, uh, sister-in-law they started building um, a house in the back garden so so I'm back with my at my parents house since I've, mm-hmm. uh, I've come back uh, jobless um, and where we live in the back garden behind the back garden there used to be fields and then they built a housing estate um, and so uh, my brother and sister-in-law decided to get that site in the garden and build a house uh, about four years ago now the house hasn't been fully built yet but they've been living in a in a mobile home uh which is like a, an rv without wheels yeah um, for the last uh four years <laughs> so now, now their house is nearly pretty much finished they just need to uh bring all the furniture and stuff in the next uh, month or so but they're going to find it really really strange they have this lovely big house and they're living <laughs> in small, and they have kids they've, they've wow. one year so um yeah, it's it, but they 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 it it totally changed how they act as well because they used to live uh, they they were living over in New Zealand and they had a lot of space over there. They had all of their gear for outdoor um, outdoor sports like surfing, uh, mm-hmm. mountain biking, all this equipment, and then they had to downsize everything to just fit inside this mm-hmm. at home. Um, but I think the less stuff you have, the less things you have, the clearer your mind is. I'd be happier for it. Sorry. When I uh when I when I started selling my stuff, it was like incrementally I got happier the less stuff I had, and like I was like Mm. I was giving away my clothes, giving away my shoes, like giving selling my car. Like, dude, this feels so nice to just come in and like couple shirts, like pots and all necessities, and then that was it. And then when I was living out of a backpack, was when I was the happiest I've, I've ever been. I think it was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. For other reasons, obviously, that was going on in my life too. But like, it was just a very stress-free time, which is, which is, I think, ideal. Yeah, actually, coming back to the traveling thing, that's probably that's probably what um, that's probably the most enjoyable part of it is just having your backpack, having your whole life on your backpack, and uh, and nothing else. And in fact, while I'm waiting now for this oven to arrive. Um, while I do need to make some plans, I need to make some plans and work on a business plan and things, and and maybe some more courses that are available. Um, there's there's a lot to be said for um, just heading away, doing some volunteer thing. It might only be down the road, but if I volunteered somewhere down the road and got hosted somewhere else for a month, um, I feel the same thing as traveling because I just have my backpack. You know, yeah. it's it's even sometimes I've gone hitchhiking and. I used to hitchhike when I didn't have a car, but now occasionally I'll hitch or I'll hitchhike if I'm traveling abroad. But then occasionally I'll just, even though I have my car, I'll just go to the top of the road and hitch really? out. 
because it's a totally different experience. You 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 talk to the person first of all. Someone that stops and lets you. There's all these. Uh, uh, some people have these uh, this issue with uh, hitch, uh, hitchhiking that like it can be dangerous. There's so many other things that can be dangerous. But when someone stops their car and lets you into their car. They're almost guaranteed to be a nice person <laughs> because it's, <laughs> yeah. it's a big step to allow a stranger into your car. So yeah, you always have you, you always meet uh, meet some nice people and um, and yeah, you you you're you're outside of your norm. You're outside of your own car. You're outside of your own home. You're outside, you know, just with your bag in your back with no real definite plans. Gives you that, that was freedom. yeah, the 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 no death like the not the yeah not knowing what was going to happen tomorrow like and just kind of going with the flow like it took a little bit to get used to but then once you kind of just settle in being okay with what's going on around you it is it was mm -hmm. the, that freedom was addicting quickly like it was just like this is cool like it, it is so uh, so carefree so nice like i don't even know it's not it's just that was fun and is well i want to ask is hitchhiking popular in ireland um it 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 was um i think most people most people have cars uh because the public transport isn't that great uh, it's not that it's not that it's not that reliable there just isn't enough of it it's not regular enough so if you work uh in another town to where you live you'll find it very hard to get there and um, but people generally will stop for hitchhikers because we because people know why they're hitchhiking they know they're hitchhiking probably because they don't have any other means to get out there and um, tourists that come here hitchhike and they and they usually don't have a problem getting a lift uh, wow. people are happy to uh, are, are happy to help them um, and then you have yeah some like uh, the older generation uh, that might not have a license and they live in a really small rural town and they like there's some just up the road from where from where we live here we're on we're on the main road to the coast and the beaches um and you'd see the same faces you'd see the same faces of people mm -hmm. who rely on hitchhiking uh, to get in and out of the town to do their daily bits you know uh um so it's it, yeah i think it's um <clears throat> it's 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 definitely safe it's it was popular but what's happening now is everybody has the same news and that's actually not true. There's very polarized news. What people say, what what people are seeing <laughs> on the on their phones, on the on, on Google. But um, what I mean to say is that um, people will 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 hear horror stories of what's happened somewhere else, and assume that that's a regular that, that that's a regular occurrence, and that's going to happen everywhere. Um, like I remember when I was in Spain, when I finished up working in Spain after a year, and I, I wanted to meet some friends in Vienna. Uh, so I was going to hitchhike. I was like, "Well, this is, this is fine. I have some time. I'll hitchhike from Spain up through France, through uh, Austria, and get into Vienna." But take my time with my tent and meet some people. It'll be nice. And uh, I hitchhiked through France before. There's no problem there. But the Spanish uh, really have a, a problem with hitchhiking because they have a few of these um, stories to tell of times when you know they heard they read about a story in the news where. Uh, someone was kidnapped or someone was, you know, mm -hmm. but actually I found that of all the people that I met in Spain who would tell me about hitchhiking, that I shouldn't go hitchhiking, they all told me the same story. And <laughs> Spain has, uh, I think Spain might have somewhere between 40 and 50 million people. And, you know, if they're all telling the same story. It's probably not that dangerous, you know. Yeah. Um, 
but uh, yeah, so then then what happens is uh, because we all have this shared, we all share these stories, then you, you, you've got Irish people that feel uh, that it's a really dangerous thing because they once heard this story of this person who was, you know, like, we can all, t- we can all talk about these stories, like the stories yeah. of people falling out in front of a bus, the stories of people getting mugged inside a, inside a supermarket, there's all sorts of things, like it's, yeah. it's, it can happen anywhere. There's a lot of fear, there's a lot of fear out there. Well, people don't hitchhike here in the states, and that's why I ask because the contrast is so, so giant. Because that a lot of people used to back, I think, in the seventies, sixties, and eighties, that was a normal thing. And then, yeah, the fear mongering of hitchhikers and being picked up while hitchhiking by someone bad, it just took off and it's rampant. And if you see a hitchhiker, it's a very strange thing to see now in the in the states anywhere. Mm-hmm. I think. And so I'm I'm all for it. And my plan when I was in South America was to do some hitchhiking through Peru because I'd heard it was fun and I heard it was an easy country to get around when hitchhiking and I didn't want to spend a lot of money. And I was going to do it. But I think when you talk to most Americans, that's that is off the table completely. Yeah. I don't yeah. know. I, I'd be a little bit nervous. If, I think I, I might be a little bit nervous in certain places. Um uh, and and again, it, it might not be, it might not, it might not be for any good reason. It might just be to do with um, fear that I've from maybe watching movies and different things, and mm-hmm. just just assuming that if I'm in America, for example, and I'm on some long stretch of road, <laughs> uh, it's one thing if I'm at, if I'm outside my house here and I know that well that car has probably come from this town or come from the yeah. next town, you know, and also Ireland is a, just an island. You kind of feel like. You know, if some if somebody did stop and tried to abduct me, sure, the guy behind would probably see, and they'd all know. <laughs> like, yeah, there's certain places. I, I mean, also, I have. We hear this all the time when people come home, people who emigrate. A lot of my, most of my friends' parents would have would have lived in another country for you know, uh, ten to twenty years. A lot because there was a lot of emigration then, and people would go, uh, try to get a job, try to try to get a get comfortable. And then once they'd have kids or before having kids, they'd move home. Um, and uh, it was actually just a friend of mine's mother said the other day that she was living in L.A. And she had uh, she she didn't she didn't really explain what happened uh, or what, what why it happened or if she knew. But she she basically passed out on the on the street and she was getting some sort of convulsions. And um when she came around anyway, she just noticed that everybody was just walking by her. Everybody just kept walking by and nobody was doing anything. And I think she was probably at the end of her tether, tether anyway. And she was, she, she, she probably missed home. She said that was the point. That was the, that was the moment where she was like, I have to go home. I have to go mm-hmm. home. Mm-hmm. Nobody, nobody cares. And I think it's just being in a, in an absolutely enormous city, you know, that we, we don't really have those enormous cities. You always feel that someone's got your back. Um, and it's really shocking for us if we see an incident occur and people don't intervene but there's so much fear as well in countries i think a big thing is probably uh arms you know when you live in a country that has arms you're very afraid to intervene because you don't know if someone's going to take out a gun or take out a knife or yep you know everybody's um on high dough we'd say you know um but uh here like that's that's probably another big um, when you talk about growing up in Ireland, um, a big thing is uh, the, the police don't have guns. 
Um, so they're not an armed force. We have, they have, a, they now have an armed unit, um, that's called out for special uh, kind of cases, uh, raids and things like that. Um, or if they know that the people that they're going to are going to have guns, but you'll yeah. never see the police force wearing, uh, carrying a gun when you walk around the street. So it makes it very uh, easy to go up and chat to the uh, mm-hmm. police officer. You feel very wow. at ease. Um, and uh, for me, it always shocks. It sh- shocks me when I see when I see guns, when I see people carrying guns, because I didn't grow up with it. Uh, mm-hmm. Even like in Spain, walked into a supermarket, a uh, big shopping center, and the security guard had a gun, and I was like, "What? <laughs> what <are> you <laughs> Yo, but you're right. I mean, down here, we're obviously in the states, and I lived in Texas for a while. It is just like you can't meet every third person you meet is going to have a gun, either concealed or not concealed. Everyone yeah. has gun. I don't and think so- I hitchhike. I don't think I'd hitchhike if I knew that the guy had a gun, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's, yeah, I don't know. Our guns, I don't even know. That's such a heated topic in this country that I don't even like. I know how I feel. I'm, I don't know. That's such a weird, that's a weird one, man. I don't even know. That's the relationship with our country and the guns goes back to the beginning of our country, I think, because we, we started breaking from the English and we didn't want. We want to be able to bear arms when we needed to have a militia, yeah. and and that's been stuck in our constitution. Uh, but I think things are made to change. I think things can change. They're not. We shouldn't be taking rules that are made in the 1700s. I don't understand this. Like we evolve everything else. Why can't we evolve the rules that we live by? And so, people. But but you can. I know people here in the south. It's interesting what you say about the that that you wanted to have guns to form a militia. So, I mean, if you're if you're forming a militia, you don't really need uh, it to be legal to have the guns anyway. So you just get <laughs> for your, your for your army. You know, like we had um, we we had the Irish Republican Army to fight against the the British. Um, so for, for our uh, so so that we could get our independence, and I and it was. The guns were the guns were um, were accumulated, <laughs> so that yeah. They could fight. But it didn't. Uh, luckily, anyway, it didn't then uh, dissipate down to the rest of the population, where everyone else said, uh, "I want a gun too." <laughs> Just in case, in case one of those English boys comes in. <laughs> that's that's what I'm and that's what I'm thinking now. And like now, the argument I think on the gun side for the gun people, and I'm not anything against guns. I'm just against safe gun ownership is what I'd like. I mean. I'm not ever going to try to take any away, and I would never preach on taking away guns from anybody in this country because all of a sudden you just shot, you just, nobody will listen to you because it's such an absurd request here. Um, But gun, safe gun ownership, but people now are afraid of our government coming in and I guess controlling them like a communistic group would or a communistic government. And that's an actual fear, I guess, for people in my country that the left side is going to try to, yeah. Excuse me. That their guns will be taken away from them. That, yeah, that their guns will be taken. Their guns, their freedoms, their rights. Like that's a huge demographic in my country who feel that way. Um, yeah. I don't know. It's, I don't know. Those people. There's a, there's a once the once the once the once the guns are out there, uh, it's very hard to find um, any other solution um, but to give everyone guns, which is not yeah. a solution. But it's like I was talking to a guy down in uh, 
down in Brazil actually in 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 um, in the hostel I was staying in. Um, and and he was the same age as me, and I was funny enough. I, when we started chatting, he asked me about um, something political, and I said, uh, "Oh, you know, it's funny in our country we don't really talk about." certain things when you when you first meet someone because you don't know if you're going to agree with them or not there's certain taboos you don't ask someone what they earn you don't ask someone what they do immediately you can it's probably one of the first things you can say but you don't ask immediately don't talk politics you don't talk about their marriage and uh i said that anyway and it only took another few minutes before he said so what do you think of bolsonaro (laughs) (laughs) the thing is that like it, you, you just you're you're dividing yourself straight away, and there's like you want yeah. to. You, there's just a risk anyway that you're going to divide. And some people might have an opinion that no, you know, I I want to know immediately whether that person um, mm-hmm. is is it, has this political view because if they do or they don't, I want to not waste any more time talking to that person. Um, but here anyway, the community is. I suppose I think it's because our country is, uh, has a smaller population there's not there's not as many people if you go into if you're living in a village you don't want to fall out with everybody you know that everybody has, everybody has the right to their own opinion but if you start talking about it you're going to be fighting with people all the time because everybody has different different opinions um but he asked me about bolsonaro and i said uh, i said well you know I, I don't particularly agree with certain things that he that, that he says and anyway they went on to talk about he went on to talk about guns and uh, it was uh, during Carnival, um, and and he was saying that uh, you know it, it, it's so dangerous on the streets here. Um, you know, there's gun crimes all the time. You don't know when someone's going to take out a gun um, and 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 just start shooting everywhere. Um, and the reason why I'm in favor of Bolsonaro is because he wants to make it easier for people to get guns, so that everybody everybody can have a gun basically, and everybody can defend themselves. Um, and that just seemed completely nuts. It seemed completely nuts that his solution, or what someone, you know, the same age as me, uh, thought as the solution was that give absolutely everyone a gun, so that when you walk down and you're dancing in carnival down the streets and you're rubbing up against everybody, that absolutely everybody there has a gun to protect themselves. It just sounds like some uh, crazy cowboy. Uh... <laughs> it's a wild west bullshit, man. Yes. <laughs> Well, that's the saying here is like an armed society is a safe society. And that's like the fight. That's like the side, the gun side will say that. It's like if everybody has a gun, no one's going to do anything. It's like, well, mm-hmm. that's true. I mean, it might be true. That might be possible. But usually if one person pulls out a gun and then 12 other people pull out a gun, it's going to be way more deaths than just the one person shooting. It seems like I feel like way more could go wrong with everybody carrying a gun than nobody carrying a gun. I mean, yeah. bad guys are going to get guns regardless. And so we don't need to have the whole we don't need to have the whole civilization armed to the teeth. It makes no sense to me. But yeah. again, uh, but like your point to like uh, on a day to day basis traveling. When I, before I okay before I went to Brazil, um, my plan was actually not to go to Brazil, and because everyone in the states here has how dangerous Brazil is, and you hear about the favelas and being robbed and kidnapped and all these things. So I had never planned on going there as it's going to go around and do the rest of South America. But everybody I met while traveling told me, oh, you need to go to Brazil. Like you have to go and go spend some serious time there because it's such a fun country. Mm-hmm. And I went there and I did, I mean, I think I did five different cities in a month in Brazil. 
and it might be my favorite country that I've been to in South America because people are so nice. And on a day-to-day basis, I felt safer than I did sometimes here. Like in Texas, when we have all these mass shootings, like I remember going to college and like knowing where my exits are, knowing if I can get out quick. Like You have to plan on these things because people walk into schools and, and shoot them up for no reason at all. And, no. and yeah, so on a day-to-day basis, like you might get mugged in Brazil and somebody might pickpocket you. I think almost out of complete necessity, but here it's just like it's just complete craziness that you might get shot for no reason at a bar or at a school or at a, like a library or a church, and it's just yeah. I, I don't know about that. I think we talked about that uh, um, over in Salvador. How you know even the difference between Salvador and other 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 cities in in Brazil. Um, you know, Salvador has this bad reputation for being a really dangerous city, but most people from Salvador will say it's not danger, it's robbery. You know, mm-hmm. there's a difference between you being robbed of your money and your phone and you being stabbed or you being shot. And, um, you know, in that respect, it's not uh, Salvador, uh, looking back on it, Salvador wasn't as dangerous a city as, um, as maybe Rio de Janeiro that might just have more um because i did hear stories of some uh just kind of insane attacks and maybe people completely drugged up with guns and just attacking randomly which is a bit like what you're talking about you know uh, that yeah there's 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 crime and there's danger and i suppose danger is this um the the danger or the or the chance that something that 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 someone might just randomly jump out of a building and start uh, run into a building and start shooting that creates this uh this this fear um and the only way for and it's it's paranoia as well because you're you're constantly feeling it even though it might never happen again it's happened once but it might never happen again um and yeah it's like the only solution for that is for everyone to have the gun to completely keep their keep keep themselves at ease Mm um but uh yeah it's not um that's funny though you say that. Like I couldn't imagine that. You know, I I, I couldn't imagine, um, I couldn't imagine feeling more dangerous than I did uh, at the start of walking around Brazil on my own. Like <laughs> you know, talking about how safe you felt there, and I was just thinking like, well, because I've been to I I I've been to South America twice before, and I traveled mm-hmm. most to most countries. I didn't go up as far as uh, Central America, but I've I've spent a lot of time around there, and I really felt that. Brazil was was the one where I, I and I was older as well. I felt probably more confident, yeah. but um, Brazil was the country that really made me uh, made me shake. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. And like Brazil, man, I was so scared walking in, and now everyone asks me like, where should I go? Like, just when I come home, people are like, what was your place? And I mean, obviously, the situation going on in Salvador helped what i had like why i tell people go to salvador and i tell them go february 2nd every year because you'll have the time of your life but like i I tell everybody go to salvador that is the coolest city i've ever been to it was the most fun the friends i met meeting you um and then everybody else from couch surfing that all made it wonderful time and i and you can't recreate that but i think if you can even get close to how good a time i had there you'll be okay with anything that was such a cool city in the history of salvador i had no idea about and i got to learn it through that festival then i actually went home and i studied it like i had no idea about brazil and i didn't know how this like the slave trade worked i didn't know when the portuguese came over 
and it all kind of started to click. Oh, and then I bought that book. I'm looking at it right now, Open Veins of Latin America, oh, that you really? recommended to me. Yeah. yeah, and I started that one. So that was, a, and I, and I, I had, I want to read it like you had said while traveling around in these different parts of that continent because I think it would be really cool to be able to connect the past with the present and see why they are where they are now compared yeah. to where they could have been if they hadn't been basically their lands raped <laughs> for nothing. Yeah. yeah. It's a really, it, that, that, that book will tell you everything. It's, uh, it's, it's done really well and um, there's a lot in it. Like <laughs> it probably could be longer. <laughs> yeah. And I'm, and I'm reading it section by piece by piece and I'm taking breaks from it and coming back because yeah, it's just, there's a lot of information. There's a lot to take in, but it's a cool book. And I mean, I'm obviously I don't know anything about South America or not as much as I would like. I don't, um, but it's giving me a very real version, I think, of the history, which is refreshing. Yeah. Yeah. So. No, that's uh, thanks for reminding me of that I'd like to read that again now, I think, because when I read it first, I hadn't gone to Brazil, and there is a lot in that book about Brazil. Um, okay, cool. I'm only really focusing on all the Spanish-speaking countries that I kind of gone through. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, it must say it must say something about uh, they must talk about Salvador. I mean, Salvador is Salvador was always going to be an amazing city when 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 you think of its history, and it's so different to the rest of uh, Brazil because of its makeup. Um, and then on top of that, this you know quite a big city and um, with all these incredible beaches around it and it's just yes. it's really nice to be able to see everyone just um i mean i know rio de janeiro has the same thing but rio de janeiro is far more um rio de janeiro is kind of like the postcard um exactly postcard. it is what it is yeah but, yeah and it's 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 more there's a lot more uh, upper class there uh, ipanema is all um you know it's 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 more the the, the high end uh, side of Brazil, and I found that yeah. kind of I found that part of part of Brazil quite hard to stomach because of just how much poverty there is there. Uh, you know, I I don't think I've ever seen uh, wealth like I saw. I mean, in compared to at home anyway, I haven't seen wealth like I did in Brazil. And same with poverty. Like the extremes are so uh, wide. You know, there's um I think it might have been in Sao Paulo. I found myself inside this. Uh, shopping mall, um, because there was a, I was just googling where I could find a cinema, um, but everything was marvel inside this shopping mall, and I don't think you could actually walk in there and spend pay for anything less than a thousand uh, dollars or whatever. Um, but it's you know literally maybe you know walking about five streets down the road, you get to Cracolandia, which is like the center. Mm -hmm. Did yeah. you visit there? Did you go to into Sao Paulo? I only got to Sao Paulo two days. I didn't get to spend enough time there. Yeah, I was like, I I wouldn't have gone to Cracolandia by choice, but I found myself uh, there <laughs> when it was too late. <laughs> uh, I, I was looking for some museum, and it's 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 in a part of the city, like an old historical part of the city that's just been abandoned by the people that used to live there, and um, uh, all sorts of misery goes on there now. And it's uh, just a lot of homeless people, a lot of uh, mostly everyone's just addicted to crack and uh they're but you're talking about like five streets down from this 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 symbol of wealth uh, just of waste as well of you know this uh this shop, shopping mall where people are buying spending that amount of money totally unnecessarily um and 
you know, it just the complete poverty and misery down the road. It's 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 a hard. It's a yeah. It's a. I was I was happy to get home from from that for that for, for that was one of the reasons. You know, just a, a hard to stomach the 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 pain the 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 gap in society there. But Salvador yeah. seems to be a more balanced city than the rest of the than other cities in Brazil. Yeah. Like, well, and I think it I think it has its size and to contribute because like yeah rio and sao paulo those are huge huge cities with just i mean millions and millions of people uh i don't know salvador i don't think salvador is nearly as big no i don't i think it might be i think it's probably like four million or something like that still for me it's like anything over a million you uh, you're asking about the you're wondering about the biggest city in ireland so the biggest city in ireland is dublin and it's 1.2 million oh my god that's uh Dublin uh, and the the greater Dublin area um, holds between a quarter and half of the population of Ireland. Oh my God! It's a, I mean it's getting worse. It used to be a quarter of the population, um, and it's getting closer to half when you take in all the accounts. When you take into account all of the the satellite towns where people um, commute from, and County Dublin, like the the actual county of Dublin, mm-hmm. is not that big compared to other counties. So. Uh, you know, most people, a lot of people now that would say that they live in Dublin, they don't even live in the county of Dublin, um, but they drive in every wow. day. Um, and I mean, all of my, it, this whole working online thing is fantastic because I've got a lot of friends who work in Dublin and they live in Dublin because their work is in Dublin, but they don't want to live in Dublin. I mean, it's nice. It's great when there's gigs and festivals and things on, but um, uh, other than that, the rent is crazy. It's, uh, yeah. it's, it's, it's too expensive for the size of the city that it is. Um, and you end up moving to a place to get a job, uh, a good job, but you spend all the extra money that mm-hmm. you earn for this particular job just by living there. So yeah. it looks like more and more people are going to leave the city and still be employed by a company in the city, but work from home and move back down to the to the more picturesque parts of the country. Yeah, the postcard parts, the parts yeah. of the American city. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, exactly. So, yeah, because I lived in Dallas, Fort Worth. I lived in, like, right in between them for a little while. Then I actually lived in the city of Dallas, Texas. And, like, that whole Metroplex area is seven and a half million, I think. Might be bigger than that. And so it's just, like, Salvador, to me, felt like a small city, like a tiny little city. So yeah. that's crazy. Like, the, the the same city can feel totally different. I mean, obviously, depending on where you're coming from. But that's dope. Um, what is... So I want to... I want to talk about Corona with you in Ireland and its response and how everything went in Ireland. Yeah. So, what? When did when did lockdown happen for you guys? Um, it was. I think it might have been. I think it might have been two weeks into. It's, it's hard to know now exactly because. I'm, so I came back the day before St Patrick's Day. Um, and that was the day that they closed all the pubs. <laughs> that was the day really? that they cancelled they cancelled uh, St. Patrick's Day. They cancelled the parades and then they closed the pubs. Um, now, as far as I know, that was before the actual, yeah, I'm pretty sure that was before the actual lockdown happened. I think the lockdown happened, um, it might have happened a week or two after that. I had to self-isolate for two weeks when I got back from Spain. So I flew from Brazil to Spain 
I was supposed to be starting a job, so I was going to the police station to get my papers sorted out. Um, and I was still recovering from dengue at the time. <laughs> you had dengue? I dengue for, uh, it lasted a total of a month, and I still wasn't right when I got home, but I had... What um, are the side effects of that? Oh, fevers, basically, uh, like, <laughs> a lot of the symptoms at that stage would have, looked, would have looked a lot like coronavirus, so I was a bit nervous that I wasn't going to be allowed. <laughs> but um, uh, fevers, sweats, awful nights, sleep, uh, no energy, um, every sort, you go through every sort of stage, diarrhea, it's just mm. awful, and, um, and, and you keep thinking it's gone, you know, you wake up okay one day after an awful night's sleep, and you get up and you say, yeah, I will do that today. Or, yeah, I will eat today. And then you can't. And it just goes down again. Do you know how you got it? Uh, it's a flock. Like, it's a mosquito. Like, you've got the mosquitoes that have malaria, mosquitoes with Zika. Mm -hmm. You've got ones with them. Ah, uh, okay. okay. And then there's chi ch uh, chikungunya or something like that. There was some other one. Um, but anyway, yeah, so I got back into the country and I had to, because, so once I got into Spain... I was there for a day or two, and then the president came on and said that the country's in lockdown, so I had to get a flight to get back to Ireland. When I got back to Ireland, I had to self-isolate for two weeks in my parents' house, uh, away from my parents. And um, yeah. So that's why I'm kind of confused. I know that, yeah, the, the, the pubs closed down, but somewhere during, dur somewhere during my self-isolation, um, when I was quarantining, then everyone else had to do the lockdown. So um, it would have been, yeah, towards the end of March. All the schools closed down at that point as well. Um, so the school that I used to work in, um, they, so they work with international students flying into the country. They all, they, they shut down maybe on the, uh, on the on the 16th of March as well, 17th of March. Um, and then, so our rule, the rules that we had during the lockdown was that you could only go out for for work and the only jobs that you should be driving out for work is if you're a delivery guy or if you're a healthcare worker and um, but most of the jobs uh, could uh, had to either be done at home or or closed um, oh supermarkets shops things, uh, grocery stores and uh, obviously stayed open um, and and then yeah they'd have so the police we call them the guards they're the guards on the on the street to um, just kind of waving down cars and making and just asking them what where are you going what are you doing um it wasn't really i mean if someone really wanted to um if someone really wanted to break the law and go to their friend's house they could because the guards here don't enforce too heavily um so you could but in the most part i think everybody did everybody stayed at home we all started doing zoom parties calling our friends and doing <laughs> meeting up on zoom um, and they told us then that we could go within two kilometers of our house uh, for the purpose of exercise. Okay. So everybody got really fit. <laughs> <laughs> everybody just started walking, running, uh, cycling everywhere, doing laps. Uh, it was easier for some more than others, like my friends in Dublin. Um, they had nice parks and things like that, but um they were, they were they were quite restricted there uh we're just outside the town where i am here and there's lovely countryside all around so i just walk in through different fields every day and try to it wasn't a, you know i think when you're it's probably better it's definitely better being outside a city for the lockdown and if there's another 
they're thinking maybe in the next week or so that we're going to have another uh, lockdown in certain counties, maybe in Dublin, because the cases are quite high. And I have oh, friends okay. there who have a bag packed, ready to come down to Ennis. <laughs> Get out of there. <laughs> because, yeah. yeah, at least if they come down here, they, they, they can... Uh, there's a lot more green space. There's a lot more countryside. Yeah, I don't know how people manage inside. Uh, you know, like in, in 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 Italy where it got really bad and they're in their apartments, actually yeah. stuck in the apartments. They can only. I think in France as well, they had you had to print off a form, um, you to and sign it when you when you wanted to go to the to the supermarket. So here, like they say, you can only go to the shops. Uh, you can only you can only leave the house to go to the shops. But people might have been going to the shops three times a day. But I think in France they actually had to sign, print off a sheet, get it from from some state website, get it signed, and then it was stamped by the police officer when they went out or something. Wow! Like they checked if they had it, um, and also they were kind of finding people who were caught in the shops buying things that weren't essential, like uh, ten Whoa. liters, of, ten liters of Coca Cola or something like that. You know, so. Yeah, everything. Everywhere was it was a bit different. I think that the the, the Irish the, the police force here didn't enforce it too much because the Irish tend to tend to behave. Uh, I think we're, <laughs> we're kind of we're kind of a no. I mean, not 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 maybe so much in that. Like when it comes to social distancing, I don't think we were that great. But in if if we're told that there's um, I think you're more worried that your neighbors might catch you. You know, and your neighbors mm-hmm. might. Say, Did you hear the <laughs> they broke the <laughs> they broke the curfew? <laughs> But uh, yeah, so that's I, I mean <clears throat> we we were doing well for a while, and um, I don't think we did particularly well because we don't have a very big population. So we actually for for, for uh, you know for the for the size of population that we have, um, and how rural our population is, um, I think we, we 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 should have done a lot better. But one big problem that we had at the beginning is that in the United Kingdom were not taking coronavirus seriously. Yeah, and we were, but because of Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland, because Northern Ireland is part of the United Kingdom, um, while it should be easy to control an island and make sure that the coronavirus doesn't get on, or if it does, you self isolate that person and you make sure that it doesn't spread. Because we have no border between Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland, if the Republic of Ireland is strict with coronavirus and Northern Ireland is not, and uh, then it's it's too hard to control it. So one thing that was different is we have two weeks self isolation if you are a close contact with someone who had coronavirus or if you have it yourself. In Northern Ireland, it was six days, or I think it was six or seven okay. days. So it doesn't really make much sense. Like you know, you have you have you have people, you have farmers who have half of their land in the Republic of Ireland and half of their field is in the, is in Northern Ireland. Uh, you have people who walk over the border every day to go to work, uh, or, or vice versa. So, like, and that that meant that no matter how hard we tried in the Republic, uh, we were still going by two rules. So uh, now we're actually not doing that great at all, and it looks like it's getting um, getting bad again. And then when when the weather gets colder as well, there's going to be a lot of people around coughing as they normally do when winter comes in. It's going to get very confusing. Yeah. Do you, uh, was there any like anti-mask stuff going on? Any infringements on your rights and your freedoms things like that going on uh any any people that didn't believe it was a pandemic and it was just all made up 
Yeah, like there's there's plenty of people who kind of think, oh, it's it's it's, it's nonsense, but they still comply. Um, mm-hmm. We we didn't do the masks for a long time because there was a shortage of masks, um, and they didn't want to um, um, they didn't want to 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 promote the usage of masks when the healthcare workers were the ones who yeah. needed masks. So like we were flying in masks. Um, uh, from China, I think we uh, like five plane loads of uh, masks in mm-hmm. for the healthcare workers. And until such a point as they knew that there was enough masks, there were, there were enough masks available, um, they didn't want to be telling people to wear them. Um, which I didn't really agree with because you could you could make a, a face masks any any sort yeah. of covering just mm-hmm. just for people that might be sneezing and coughing and uh, inside the shops. And um, but once so once they made it mandatory, so now it's actually man- mandatory for the last few weeks, and and everyone wears them. Uh, a couple of people might not wear them, um, and even that's changing now. But like if they wear glasses and then it gets fogged up, uh, then, yeah. You know, some people kind of just have. Uh, I mean, there's there's ways around that as well if you wanted to. There's different masks you can get, but um, yeah. So there's people that everybody has a different opinion about it, but everybody goes with the rules because it's not cool. that deal you know it's just um it's just one of those things yeah yeah one of those things everything over here gets politicized so it's a little different um who is your president in ireland uh so uh our president is michael d higgins um okay but he doesn't have he's not the same as uh the president in ireland isn't the same as the president of the united states or the president of france it's um, we have a Taoiseach, which is like our prime minister, um, and that's the, that's the head of state uh, and they're the head of the government. And then you've got your president, who is more like a a cultural emblem uh, okay. of, of, of the country, which is which is really quite beautiful because um, if you think about how people view your country they'll know who your president is and they'll judge you accordingly um, ah, yeah. and if you even if you're very proud of your president and even if you if, if, if you have a president who's doing great things um there'll always be something they can be judged on if they've made it if they if they've done something wrong throughout uh, during their mandate so in ireland we keep politics and the president separate so the the president is the person who deals with foreign affairs and kind of creating uh, spreading this positive uh, the positive image of Ireland uh, across the world and um, very well respected man um, and we had several uh, before this and, and uh, I think we had uh, so there's Mary McAleese and Mary Robinson with uh, uh, female presidents uh, going way back um, and they, they were always um, they always did a lot of humanitarian work um, so you know in a way the president of Ireland represents the Irish people much more than what has to occur within the government. Yeah. So I've always liked that, and a lot of people really, uh, you know, really appreciate the fact that they, uh, the fact that we have um, this this cultural ambassador uh, for the country who goes around and is invited to different places and represents the country really well. Um, very intelligent man, very well spoken, and very kind and generous and. Uh, yeah, that's what you want for your country. Someone that someone that you can all relate to and say, yeah, they represent our people. That person represents our people. That is cool, and that's really interesting. I, 
that's a nice setup and it is it's a nice way to split politics and dealing with people because yeah having it all wrapped into one person it's it's going to make them not liked by somebody either one way or the other because they have to make yeah they have to be the figurehead and the the political leader to one side or the other yeah i think one of the biggest problems with trump is like his lack of it looks like a lack of want to work with other world leaders and like now that our world is more global than ever you have to cooperate with everybody just to get things done and to just move forward as a civilization it's crazy to think that we can just sit here and isolate ourselves from the world and like there's a big difference between being interventionalist and being the world police and just being a part of like the world and i think the united states a lot of times is left out of the world in in the grand scheme is like in in political in the political theater and we're also left out as civilians as americans in the world just as in travel and being part of the world the global community because i don't i didn't meet as many americans i didn't and traveling i, I know we do that but our country is so big i think a lot of my people here forget to travel and forget about meeting the other world and forget about how important it is to kind of be have a global view on life because we all now more than ever again we affect each other so much every day mm. yeah no that's 100 percent true um it's kind of um well, i mean that's the reputation anyway but i think anyone whatever about uh, you know being from america kind of center of the world uh this feeling of being the center of the world but a lot of people in in cities you'll find that they won't um venture too much outside to visit other parts of the country because if, if you're mm-hmm. in the capital of your country that's kind of where it's at you know um uh, but um yeah i suppose this the the, pre- the 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 president thing is a little bit like um it's a little bit like a king or a queen but even that you know if you had a king or a queen there's people who are against that because of the amount of yeah money the amount of the, 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 them being supported royalty being supported um by by the st- by state funds but um <clears throat> yeah so um uh, so everyone can freely uh, uh, um, despise the, the the politicians within the government, <laughs> but everyone has to bow down to the president and say, "Yeah, that's nice." Do <laughs> do do taxpayers in Ireland pay to the Queen still? No, no. No, okay. I see. So I don't know what. Be war again. <laughs> <laughs> Can you walk me through a very quick history of that that relationship? Uh, well, it'd be hard. I'll try to keep it really, really simple because uh, even I know that if I was to go into any sort of detail, I'd make all sorts of mistakes. It's a really complicated history. Um, but basically, um, uh, I mean, it goes back. 800 years from the very first time that we ever had issues with them <laughs> but um but we we had been uh ruled by the british for a long time and um then uh it, it never really worked well because we were not given the same rights as uh, as the british and it was it all it, it all boiled down to like during the during the 17th century it boiled down to your religion the the, the difference in religion so all the Irish were uh, predominantly Catholic, and the English settlers were were predominantly uh, uh, Protestant. So, um, so there was there was uh, there was laws introduced called the Penal Laws, which would prohibit Catholics from 
um, from going to mass, from celebrating mass. Um, it, it was basically a ban on anything Irish. So uh, the, the, the Irish language couldn't be spoken. So this, this, is, when, this is when we started to lose our language. Um, so there's the pro prohibition of the Irish language. And this all kind of culminated into um, this all this all this all culminated into uh, um, the Irish just not being happy with the situation, and we we uh, there was this big planned re uh, revolt uh, in 1916 on Easter 19 Easter Sunday of 1916, um, when uh, most of the British troops. Uh, were busy at the war, so it was kind of a, a very strategic time to 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 to, to plan the to plan the revolution, and um, uh, and 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 what we got out of that, what we won out of that, was an agreement, um, where we would become a free state, but we didn't get, uh, and we later became we became, became a republic at a later stage, uh, in 1921, but we didn't get our entire country. So the agreement was look. The majority, the vast majority of the Catholics are in the, are in the south, and plus Donegal, which is also in the north. So, like when mm -hmm. we talk, it's not north and south; it's more the Republic, and then there's a part of the northeast, which is the which is still which is Northern Ireland. That's part of the United Kingdom. So they held on to six counties of the thirty-two counties, and um, where they're predominantly uh, Protestant, or there's a stronger Protestant uh, presence, and. Um, <clears throat> The reason for that is that it's closer to Scotland, and that's where a lot of the settlers came from. Um, so, that, so there was more settlements up around Belfast and, and in Northern Ireland. Um, but even to this day, and then you know, there's the once that happened, once there was a division, and we became a republic, and Northern Ireland became a separate country, a part of the United Kingdom. That led to other problems, because of course all of the Catholics who live in Northern Ireland thought well this isn't very fair um we're still not recognized um and it was also hard like they, they also kind of uh, tore down the relationship between people in the south and catholics in the north because those catholics felt abandoned because we got what we wanted we're all happy we've got our irish passports and they're up there and they're and they're still british then they introduced things so if you're a catholic in northern ireland you can have both passports you can have an irish passport and you can have a british passport um but that's when the troubles began um, so the troubles were, uh, this is what you heard about the IRA. Mm -hmm. So, um, so the, uh, the, the, the terrorists, the, the, there was a lot of terrorist attacks then on both sides. So, uh, the, the, the unionists who, uh, still want to be part, who, uh, want to be part of the United Kingdom and the Republicans who want to united Ireland. Um, and that went on for years and it's only really, uh, started to calm down in the last um, in the last ten years, and there's still little scuffles here and there, but it has calmed down. Um, uh, you'll notice there's a visible divide in certain cities that you go into. It's completely segregated. You'll have Catholic neighborhoods and Protestant neighborhoods, um, but you know it's not. It, it it doesn't. We still, if you ever hear an Irish person talking about the troubles, they'll always talk about Protestants, Catholics, and it's not about the religious beliefs. That's just the way that they were. Uh, that, that 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 we distinguish the two groups, the groups oh, that okay. so the Catholics are, are the Catholics are the Irish Catholics that were um, that were fighting for civil rights at the beginning, 
because they didn't they, they had less of a chance to uh, to, to get a job as a, a as a Protestant uh, compared to a Protestant um, there was they were they were always more impoverished than the Protestants so there was all of these things that that pushed the that pushed the troubles in the north that, that, that pushed the fight up there long after the Republic of Ireland became uh, independent in Northern Ireland uh, the fight went on because uh, being a Catholic in Northern Ireland was just awful it was substandard living um, but uh, but it's 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 changed now. It's just still a very. I mean, I visit Northern Ireland. I'm fascinated by Northern Ireland. I, it, I, everyone's very friendly up there. At least if you're on the right side of it. Uh, but uh, <laughs> it's very it's very hard to know what what's going to happen in the future. People say like, oh, do you think there'll be a United Ireland? I don't. I don't believe that there will be because it doesn't work for either side. Um, the 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 Protestants won't be happy with being uh, a part of the a part of a part of Ireland, and the Catholics won't want to be part of the Republic either because they don't relate to us. They've had a very different history, so it'll be more likely that uh, that Northern Ireland will become its own country, uh, mm. separate from the United Kingdom, than than to join Ireland. It's just very wild. It's a strange, uh, it's a strange one, very complicated and very. Yeah. Uh, very brief history <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean and as i say i'm sure we could sit here and you could explain for days about the history like any other country that i could sit down and talk about that with somebody who lives there um but that being said man i just want to thank you so much for coming on and talking to me and no worries, this is man. cool this this, oh. this makes me happy uh, yeah no man i think it's great it's 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 it's, it's good to it's good to reminisce as well you know about the I found when I first got back, uh, because lockdown happened immediately, I didn't get time to reflect on the last trip, you know. But it's, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it was a, it was a good one. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait. And whenever this is all over, please come, come to the United States. I'll pick you up at any airport you want to fly into. Yeah, man. I hope you still have the RV then. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, all right, my brother. Uh, happy birthday! Thank you very much. Cheers, man. Uh, dinner, 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 uh, dinner grub now and uh, d- birthday, birthday dinner and uh, blow out some candles. <laughs> <laughs> good. All right, man. Uh, good night, I guess. It's nighttime over there. 5.30. It's starting to get okay. uh, grim. <laughs> okay. All right. All right, brother. Minutes. See you later. <laughs> See you, dude.